Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. This morning is an exciting day because we're finishing up Psalm chapter 23. And we're going to be going over verse 6. But if you've enjoyed this study in Psalm chapter 23, just go ahead and leave a comment here uh, on the page. And uh, that would just be good to know that you've enjoyed here this study in Psalm 23. And maybe put something that you've learned here during this study here in Psalm chapter 23. And I, I'm still thinking about where we're going to be going next, so I get better get that figured out before tomorrow, right? Um, but we're going to see where we're going to be heading next. I've got a few different ideas, but I'm really excited uh, just to, to continue doing this. I've really enjoyed doing this podcast, and I hope that uh, you've really been connected to the Word of God just in a little bit of a daily devotional here. And I hope that that has produced God's grace in your life, because that is the goal of Shouts of Grace here is to go and to complete or to help you build what you have, what God has given you to do in your life through a Shout of Grace. But let's go ahead and let's get into Psalm chapter 23, and I'll start in verse 1, but we're going to be focusing in on that last verse today, verse 6, and of course we're learning contentment through Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we're going to be starting here in verse 6, and the first thing I want us to see this morning is that God's goodness and mercy pursues you. God's goodness and mercy pursues you. Now, it is important that we understand here what we're talking about when we look at this idea of goodness and mercy, but goodness, it means good, well-pleasing, fruitful, or morally correct. And it's the idea of God's goodness or how God defines what is good. And we think about that, it pursues us. It pursues you if God is your shepherd. But we we often define goodness apart from God in this world and in this culture specifically. We often define goodness as being comfortable, perhaps, or, or going through circumstances that we would choose or enjoy. But God's goodness may be more or less comfortable to us, but it is for our own benefit. You know, I I think about that, and when I think about this idea of what's good for you in relation to comfort, um, I think of basketball practice back in high school. And I remember specifically the most difficult basketball practice that I ever had. It was after we had just gone my junior year and destroyed a team. I mean, I I believe we beat them. I I think we had 30 steals in that game. I mean, it was just uh, just a game where they, they were not very good, and we had a pretty good game. But but our coach realized that we were kind of getting laxed and maybe a little bit arrogant, and so he decided to rein us in, and he took every turnover that we had, and I think we had to do wall sits for every turnover we had, every missed shot. We had to go and run sprints, something like that. But it was the most grueling uh, basketball practice that we'd ever had, and I believe we won the game 80-53. to 53. 
if I'm remembering the score right. And uh, and it wasn't even that close. In the fourth quarter, uh, we had um, just the bottom of the bench in for the entire quarter. It, it was nice getting to play just a little bit. But uh, we, we, we look at that idea. It was one of those things where it was probably the best practice for our team because it refocused our team on what the goal was. The goal wasn't just for playing good or for winning a game, but to be the best that we could be. And that didn't matter if the competition was good or wasn't good. And it was just a reminder there that we were not looking at the end result, making the ends justify the means. We were going and looking at trying to be the best that we could possibly be. And that meant that to have a good practice, we were going to have to be uncomfortable. We were going to have to be uncomfortable. And God doesn't define his goodness based on our comfort, but rather he bases it on his character. And sometimes doing what is right or or really living inside of the goodness of God means that we're going to have to go through something that is uncomfortable or it really doesn't even matter with our circumstances around us. As we think back just a few days ago, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We think of that. It's one of those things that God gives a comfort that goes beyond our circumstances and his goodness is something that goes beyond our circumstances as well. Now, when we think of God's goodness, we do need to remember back as to what we've learned so far in this chapter. God's goodness, in, in we think about this, he only leads in paths of righteousness. We know that he only leads in green pastures. He only leads beside the still waters. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup runs over. He prepares a table before us, even though we're in the presence of our enemies. Isn't that an incredible thing? Isn't that an incredible thing? But if you think back also specifically to him leading in the paths of righteousness, that's correlation with his goodness. We know that God will not lead us into sin, but he's going to only lead us into what is morally good and upright. He is consistent with this character, and ultimately where he leads us, it is for the sake of his name and his goodness will pursue after us. This means we may go through difficult things. We may have tough circumstances all around us, but even in spite of all of that, his goodness is still chasing after us. But his mercy also pursues us. And mercy here, we often think of grace as an idea of a gift that we don't deserve, but mercy is the positive opposite of that. It is holding back something we do deserve. In this word specifically here, it means loving kindness, mercy, goodness, and of course, it's pointing back to God's character, and we're talking about God's mercy. Now, of course, as for the Christian, we have eternal mercy, right? Those who have believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior, it tells us in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and through the renewing of the Holy Spirit. See, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then he holds back hell from you. It tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us why that's a big deal. For the wages of sin is death, 
and eternal death. But of course, fortunately, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we accept Jesus Christ, our Savior, we have eternal mercy, but we also have temporal mercy as well. God holds back temporal things in our life as well. He, he loves us, and he loves us not only in an eternal sense, but he also loves us on this earth or on this earth as well. And so remember this, of course, we could go with the, the moniker that uh, things, of course, could be worse, but I, I hope that you understand that we get far better than what we deserve. God loves to give us good gifts if we are his children. In, in fact, this mercy and this goodness, it will pursue after us. It will follow after me all the days of my life. God's goodness, his mercy will seek you out. Once again, this doesn't mean that everything is going to be comfortable in your life, but it means that God is building us into who he wants us to be, and he is working in us, and he is pursuing us, and his goodness is pursuing us, even in spite of our circumstances. In James 1, 17, it tells us this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And this is in the context of trials in in James chapter 1, just a, a few verses before. God's good gifts, his goodness follows us even in the midst of our trials. And his mercy will seek you out. It will seek you out. Praise the Lord. He forgives your sin. He's looking to forgive you of your sin. That's God's mercy. Uh, Praise the Lord. He allows us to confess our sins. Praise the Lord that I don't get what I deserve either eternally or in the temporal. And praise the Lord. He is long-suffering towards us. But these things will find their way into our life if we are one of God's sheep, if he is truly our shepherd. Now, one thing I want to point out about this verse is that it is essentially the equivalent of Philippians 4.13. Now, Philippians 4.13 is, is a verse that is, is well known. And of course, it tells us that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's often used as, as a, a really a war cry and used out of context all the time. See, people read Philippians 4.13, but they generally don't read 1 through 12 or, or the verses following Philippians 4.13. The context of this verse is that Paul is saying that he has learned to be abased, he has learned to abound, and yet he has learned that he can be content in whatever state he is in. The idea is, in Philippians 4.13, is that no matter what his circumstances are, he can do all things through Christ, or he can bear all things through Christ who strengthens him. See, Psalm 23.6 is claiming that whatever state I'm in, no matter what my circumstances are, I am in God's goodness and his mercy, and his goodness and his mercy are going to pursue me no matter what people are doing all around me, no matter what the world is like all around me. We recognize his goodness and his mercy are going to follow me, so no matter what my circumstances are, I know that I have his goodness and mercy in my life. No matter how bad it gets around us, We know that God's goodness is pursuing us. It's chasing after us. We know that his mercy is pursuing us. It's chasing after us. Isn't that incredible to think about? 
I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Think about Joseph. He was, he was thrown into a pit by his brothers. Then he was sold as a slave. Then he was wrongly accused and thrown in prison. Then he was forgotten. Man, that sounds like a terrible life. But yet what was happening? God's goodness and God's mercy were pursuing after Joseph and God elevated Joseph and he gave him goodness. He gave him great blessing. He elevated him in life. And I mean, it's incredible. You can just see it's pursuing him in spite of all these circumstances. You need to remember that in your life. If you're one of God's sheep, if you are pursuing Christ, if you're pursuing to know him and to know him more, then his goodness and his mercy are going to be pursuing after you. You just keep going because it will catch up. It will find you and you will receive the blessings of God. But what is the natural response to God's goodness and mercy? This is how you should naturally respond. It goes and it says, not only uh, does, it, does it go and it say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But then it gives the response. It says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the natural response to God's goodness and mercy is to recognize that they are pursuing you in your life. It's easy to get caught up in the moment or even better stated the circumstance that you're in and then choose discontentment. But understand God's goodness and his mercy, they are pursuing you and you need to see that in your life. It's good to stop and remember that God is your shepherd, that he only leads you into green pastures, that he only leads you beside still waters. He only leads you in paths of righteousness that God's goodness and his mercy are pursuing you. And of course, it's for the sake of his name. See, no matter what difficulties brought in your life, because of his mercy, even if it's your own sin, God can still work that out for good if you repent. But also, if it's other people that are bringing up or just life in general, or maybe it's a demonic force that's bringing up a bad circumstance in your life, guess what? God works can work it out for good. He can work through that circumstance. He's bigger than your circumstance. The next response isn't just to recognize that they're pursuing you in your life, his goodness and mercy. But the next response is to dwell then in the house of God. Now, how do you do this? Well, when you're dwelling in God's house, the most simple thing to say is, is that you're spending time with God, which, of course, come down to your, your daily walk with God, your devotional life. I hope this isn't your devotional life. I, I hope that this is something that encourages you to be in God's Word, but I certainly hope that this podcast isn't your devotional life. I hope that you're reading God's Word and that you're praying to Him daily and that you're seeking Him in your life. But the other obvious one here is that to dwell in God's house, that means you will spend time with his people and in his building, which is the church. Of course, this means that you need to be at the church. Remember Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, you haven't really gone to church 
unless you started to serve God in the church. You need to be active in people's lives who got places in the church. Just showing up to church isn't really going to church. It's not until you're stirring up love and good works in the lives of other people. It's not until you're exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching that Jesus is coming back. That's the day it's talking about. That's when you've entered into that. That's when you've gone into the house of God. We need to be active in each other's lives outside of the walls of the church, but also inside the walls of the church. And that means you need to be praying for one another. That means you need to be fellowshipping with one another. That means you need to be studying God's word with one another. But how long are you to dwell inside the house of the Lord? It's forever. And this word means for the length of time. As long as you are on the earth, you're never too old to start seeking the Lord. And you're never too old to keep seeking the Lord. As long as you are on this earth, you should be dwelling in the house of the Lord. And this is where contentment is found. This is where contentment is found. This is the right response to recognizing who God is, is to say, I'm dwelling in the house of the Lord. I want to be in his presence. And this ultimately means that the choice of contentment is up to you. See, through this devotional series, you've seen that you will go through difficult circumstances. They'll even perhaps shake your life. You've also seen that God is the source of contentment and that you must choose to seek Christ in order to find true contentment. So the question is, is what will you choose? Will you choose to be content and to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Or will you choose to wallow in your discontentment? Remember, in order to be content, you need to keep Christ in the focal point and your circumstances in the peripheral. That is the simplest recipe for contentment that I can give you. And I can tell you that that's been true in my life. It's when I take my eyes off of Jesus Christ, when I start to look around at my circumstances, that that's when I get discontent. But when I focus my eyes upon Jesus Christ, who he is, then my feet start to follow Jesus Christ and his shepherding. And I realize he's only leading me in green pastures. He's only leading me beside still waters. He's certainly putting me in the encampment of righteousness. And of course, it's for the sake of his name that even when it is the most difficult circumstances, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. And I start to realize that there's a table that he's put in my life for me to set down upon, that he's going to anoint my head with oil, and certainly my cup runs over. And then I realize his goodness and mercy, they are pursuing me 
They're chasing after me. And if I keep my eyes on him, I will soon see his goodness and his mercy manifest themselves in my life. Well, thank you for listening today. And remember Joshua 1, 8, and 9 as we depart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Sometimes he leaves us waiting for his hand to move. Oh, but even in darkness, we hold to the promise. There's nothing we can't overcome. So that war you've been.